Pedalville Parks is a team of four city-dwelling, environmentally aware friends. In 2021, COVID allowing, our team was set off on a world's first self-supported bikepacking eco-adventure. We will be cycling across both land on regular bikes and sea using water bikes, covering over 1,000 miles, starting from the Orkney Islands and finishing on the Isles of Scilly. This will take us roughly two weeks and we will be cycling twice the height of Everest. We will pass through many of the UK's stunning national parks along the way. During our journey, we will be interviewing a diverse range of people to understand how human interferences impacting these green spaces and national parks and exploring what that means for everyone's future physical and mental health. So on each episode, we'll have someone very different and someone very interesting to interview. So without further ado, let's dig into the next episode. Welcome to Mind the Green Space, the podcast where we talk about how our mental health and how green spaces around the UK have been benefited by our love of adventure. I'm your host, Alicia Thomas, and I am part of the PR and media team of Pedal for Parks, the project you just heard about. Hey everyone, welcome back to Mind the Green Space. This week I am joined with Charlie, who is a sustainability consultant from Climate Partner. So if you want to introduce yourself. Hi everyone, I am Charlie, sustainability consultant at Climate Partner in the UK. Also managing some of the communications here and looking forward to our chat today. Awesome, so excited to have you on. Um, and as always, joined with my co-host Isaac, if you want to say hi. Hey everyone, looking forward to a bit of carbon offsetting discussions. Here we go. Awesome. Uh, so if you can just start by telling us what Climate Partner is, please. <laughs> Climate Partner are a sustainability consultancy that help businesses take more ambitious climate action. Our motto, our big goal is to get a climate neutral product in every shopping basket. So we help businesses measure, reduce and then offset their carbon emissions so that we can keep global temperatures below two degrees. That's awesome. And I'm pretty sure you're offsetting our carbon for the trip. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> for Parks is climate neutral. <laughs> yes. Uh, what would you say the main mission is of Climate Partner then? Yeah. So really helping and pushing businesses to take as much climate action as possible and we offset emissions, but there is no equivalence with uh, mitigation. So we really try and push businesses to reduce their footprint as much as possible, uh, given their initial carbon footprint. And we help them communicate their success, celebrate uh, small baby steps to big steps like going fully renewable. And together, I think taking uh, action to get to net zero in the UK and to limit uh, the drastic effects of the climate emergency we're in today. That's awesome. in your, on your website, I saw that um, the average EU citizen is eight, I think eight tons or something carbon uh, emission, carbon dioxide emissions per year. And we're trying to get that down to one. And um, since I guess that, that has there been any change do you know <laughs> well i think with with covid there's been a massive digitalization of businesses and of people and i think there are probably three primary aspects of someone someone's life that makes a high carbon footprint if you take any air travel then even being vegetarian doesn't really make a big difference the fact that covid for example has limited air travel has actually caused people's footprint to massively decrease also plant-based diets, as we all know, through Cowspiracy, Seaspiracy on Netflix, that also uh, drastically limits your footprint. I definitely think there's a massive movement towards being more plant-based. And then lastly as well, looking at not buying as much um, and limiting consumerism. And I think with this pandemic, people's values has perhaps shifted to moving more slowly, being more sustainable. And I think fast fashion has definitely slowed down a bit, which, so perhaps updating that figure, we might see a couple of tons knocked off the average European citizen, hopefully. Quite interesting, the pandemic has kind of made people realize what they have at home 
and what is around them. Like, do I really need to go abroad when I've got all this lovely countryside on my doorstep that some people just don't ever explore? And then they look inside their closets and they realize I've got too much clothes. <laughs> and they realize what they actually already have. And yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, was quite, it was quite a nice little pause. No, for sure. And I think things like uh, conscious traveling rather than going with a checklist mentality of a weekend away to Ibiza and prioritizing being out in green spaces and nature and you can find amazing things in in the uk which i'm sure you will see along your cycle 100 <laughs> it's funny that the three things you just kind of mentioned are quite easy things i would say to change but there's i feel a lot of people kind of don't i think plant-based is kind of like the most um that people do and then with like fast fast everything it's just so easy and affordable isn't it that a lot of people kind of don't want to change or it's just like it's a bit more extra thinking extra steps to change but it is completely possible for people to do so hopefully mm -hmm. there will be more people especially after covid in doing so i don't know <laughs> yeah but it's, it, i guess it's also really difficult because our economy is grown on resource consumption and yeah. the two are intertwined and so if consumers don't consume our economy doesn't grow um, and so there's this massive needs and innovation needed where we finally decouple resource use from economic growth. And we start embedding things into a more circular model. So rather than buying clothes every season, we buy one Patagonia jacket for the rest of our lives. And it's based off patching and nurturing and uh, stitching the jacket back together when there are damages, maybe dyeing it another color, but that's one resource that you are using over a lifetime. And the uh, the economical aspect comes from the service of you know bringing that jacket back to scratch. So moving towards a more circular model, I feel like that's going to be a big challenge in the next decade or so. Yeah. Totally a big challenge. My um, grandparents, they actually had a bit of a circular model around in the 1920s and 30s in London. It was very much a very circular model. Everyone would repair their clothes. It would be reused. Bikes would be repaired, reused. This consumerism wasn't there because, quite frankly, there wasn't any money. <laughs> so when, I think that's the problem is that we've got lots of money surplus. So then we become very indispensable if, yeah. if, if our economy um, Think if things were stripped term, in terms of money, this this whole circular economy would be switched in seconds. Like, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, on one side, it's amazing that we were able to lift people's standard of living to what it is today. Poverty today compared to poverty about 60 years ago has completely changed in definition. And so people are living much more comfortable lives, which is amazing. And now I think we're just increasing in... Um, having to get things on the day and getting groceries delivered in the next 15 minutes. And I think we are, things are getting too convenient and too fast. And perhaps the pandemic has been a way for us to slow down, hopefully. 100%, but I feel like social media is kind of not helping at all because then you see people on holiday in their new outfits. And you're like, wow, I want to be on holiday and I want to buy an outfit like that. So it's just like, as much as I want to try and be as like sustainable and climate conscious as I can, as soon as I see like an influencer in America and this really nice top that I quite like and she's linked very easily for me to get, mm -hmm. in that moment I'm like, it's just one top. It's only fifteen pounds. I'll just get it. So, you know what yes. I mean? It's just like yeah, the mindset yeah. needs to be changed so much because as mm -hmm. much as I try and be as sustainable and conscious about it, when I'm scrolling on social media, it kind of just goes out the window because I like the lifestyle that I'm seeing. Yeah, having, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's a lot of people put in big um, emphasis on people needing to change, except we cannot rely on the busy founder of Pedal for Parks or the mom of four or the broke student to really, truly make changes in their day to day life. And I think that's why Climate Partner primarily focuses on businesses businesses need to do good and need to do business for good because people won't change their habits um, in any way because life is too fast and 
you know, a lot of our decisions are based on cost, for example, as well. And so there's this huge uh, undertaking that businesses need to take and take responsibility for allowing climate action to be the easy option. Yeah, it's funny that you say that with individuals. I feel like there's a lot of pressure from like governments and also companies putting pressure on individuals to change their ways. But mm -hmm. when you see it, it's a lot of companies and like organisations, like um, the changing from plastic straws to paper straws, people doing that, when it's like, when you look at the fishing industry, that like the plastic that comes from the fish, fishing industry has a way massive effect than the plastic straws have. But the narrative from like governments and companies is like, you need to change you using to paper straws because it's having such a detrimental effect on the sea life but then you see yes. massive organizations yeah. yeah i definitely think the plastic war the war that we've just gotten against plastic is i feel sometimes a bit of a decoy to focus on the bigger pictures the more uncomfortable truths which is why aren't we using renewable energy why is the uk said yes to another coal mine and really delving into what's the most impactful areas and a lot of businesses come to us footprinting themselves just being so obsessed with packaging being like packaging is what we've been doing like look at all our all our initiatives we're so excited to get our footprint and it turns out that packaging is only four percent of their total footprints and knowledge sometimes stops at the packaging level yeah. And because it's tangible and I completely understand it. It's the thing that you can see. But if you are sourcing baobab oil from Africa and papaya from Thailand in what is a glass jar in the UK, it doesn't really matter if it's a glass jar and reusable. What really matters is you're shipping these extremely intensive raw materials from across the world by air freight. So it's really changing and deepening the narrative of products to be beyond just packaging and, and waste. Yeah. It's quite interesting you say that. So many people we've kind of spoken to have spoken about how the supply chain is not being properly checked out. So mm -hmm. most consumers only see, obviously, what's in the shop window. Like mm -hmm. when you're scrolling online, you just see what's in, in the shop window, right? But no one's seeing where did that come from. And I think it's only been in the last maybe five years that there's been a massive finger pointed at businesses to say, where did this come from? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and this transparency is definitely becoming something businesses um, and consumers really demand. And I think it's one of the reasons why perhaps Oatly did so well is because they say the good, the bad and the ugly. And on their sustainability report last year, literally on their front page, they mentioned it was worse than last year. And I think people were beyond the kind of green superficial era where we just want to see vegan and organic individuals rather have companies say, we're not doing as great, but we're trying and here are all our initiatives than this umbrella kind of greenwash. And I think we are in an era of truth and transparency and we deserve to know where our food comes from. Do you, do you work with these businesses to actually work out their supply chain? Because I think sometimes some of these businesses, they're not actually fully aware of the full supply chain mm -hmm. and where it's actually coming from. And so do you work backwards with them to the root of where they get their produce from? Is that part of the process as well? Yeah, so we look at the supply chain can be put into tiers and we say tier four, tier three, tier two, tier one. And tier one is really the source, the farmer himself or herself. And we can only gather as much information as we can get out of uh, our businesses suppliers. And so we do have to trust a lot of suppliers to give the right information and to understand where they source their own products. But we are having a lot more bigger businesses really wanting to get down to the nitty gritty and to even start measuring on farm carbon that is being sequestered, pesticides that are being used. And so, it's something that we do, but only by half. And there's a lot of trust needing in this in this uh, data collection process, which is suppliers and businesses to give us the right information. Um, I'm wondering then, can you tell us what carbon offsetting is and why it is so important for companies to carbon offset? Because I feel like I know the term carbon offsetting, but I'm not quite aware of like what it entails. Mm -hmm. 
So carbon offsets are uh, measurable, verifiable emission reductions from certified climate action projects worldwide. And these different projects reduce, remove, or avoid greenhouse gas emissions. So some of the projects that we have at Climate Partner include growing trees, which is probably the most common, um, well-known one. But we also, for example, invest in renewable energy, uh, producing biogas, investing in clean cookstoves that people can use. And all of these projects adhere to a rigorous set of criteria that pass verification by third-party agencies like the gold standards. And it's super important they pass these standards to make sure that the projects are real, they're permanent, they're additional. And by additional, we mean they wouldn't have occurred if there hadn't been finance. And this allows these projects to be sold on the market where businesses can buy carbon offset projects. And once they buy them, they're permanently retired, so they can't be reused anymore. And it allows for one company's carbon emissions produced in one area to be offset with a project somewhere else. And that's how you can achieve um, climate or carbon neutrality. The importance of it is, um, as we have seen, Amazon on fire, Australia on fire, loads of things on fire, and loads of mass events are caused by climate change. Offsetting is an amazing way to create a funnel of finance to places in the world that need climate mitigation um, money to rebuild um, forests and to also switch to renewable energy much more quickly. There has been a lot of backlash with carbon offsetting in the past and even recently um, because it's seen as a bit of a scapegoat. A lot of the companies we work with carbon offsets after they have looked at reducing. And today, if companies are carbon offsetting, they are doing it for the right reasons. It's great to want to reduce and it's needed in the future. Reducing though takes a lot of time and implementing reduction strategies in-house takes talking to stakeholders, budgeting, etc. Whilst offsetting allows us to take immediate action rather than tweedle our thumbs to wait for reduction actions to take place. So they're an amazing tool that need to be used in complement with uh, um, reduction strategies. Yeah. Yeah, I find this backlash. I understand the backlash where people are coming from. Of course, I understand. Yeah. Like, it's very simple. It's a simple backlash, really, isn't it? Um, but the, uh, the, 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 the matter of fact is that the fact that they're even thinking of this they're even thinking of offsetting or even thinking of reducing that in itself is already one step there's a lot of companies that don't even think about this exactly so, uh, to backlash against it, it's like i always would point the finger about okay so where's your solution mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> having that label as well of where we've gone carbon neutral we've offset brings a spotlight to what they're doing and brings criticism and these businesses are putting themselves out in the arena for criticism and they know that whilst companies who stay on the back bench doing nothing they're doing nothing so i praise companies who have carbon offsets and who are doing something because they're going to get so much scrutiny from very well clued up consumers transparency is key yes <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm going to ask, from what I'm understanding, do you think the carbon off, like a company just carbon offset and working with you is enough for the, for what they are doing within climate action? Or do you think more from companies needs to be, more action needs to be taken? I think we're going to see a um, wave of businesses who have measured, who have offset, and now need to set some strong reduction targets. And I think the carbon neutral or kind of the carbon footprint on pack of today will be replaced by reduction targets vocalized across different social media channels. And carbon offsetting is only valid if you 
also reduce in my mind. It's not written anywhere under any certification or, or program. But I think the next kind of step is to look at the science-based uh, targets that are have been set by the science-based target initiative. And they really highlight that in the next 10 years, businesses need to reduce by about 40%. Yeah. And so setting up those targets, vocalizing those to the public, and then giving yourself that time scale to have to reduce by 50%, for example. Yeah. Do you think there's enough being done now, like in terms of putting pressures on companies and organizations, or would you like, do you think there needs to be a lot more for, for actual change to happen? Mm. It's very interesting because, I mean, first of all, a lot of businesses are struggling at the moment. And so additional pressure is just unfair. And I think telling the small business owner that she now has to budget X amount to carbon footprint and to reduce and to offset is just unfair. Um, so I think there's need from the government to perhaps facilitate a green recovery. And what's crazy, for example, is solar panels have reduced in cost by 90% simply because of technological um, advancement. And I think pushing innovation and really financing um, new initiatives will help decrease, I guess, the sustainability premium and will allow companies and businesses to opt for that greener packaging or those greener vehicles because batteries or electric vehicles or solar panels are just so much cheaper now. So there is a need to facilitate this more in terms of the government. And in terms of added pressure, we're already seeing so much pressure from consumers as well, who during COVID are now buying more natural, are buying more organic, want to buy things good for their health. And so businesses have to move or die in some way because there's consumers, you know, in 10 years time, if you don't have a sustainability plan, you won't be part of retailers anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that I was reading an article the other day and it was kind of um, on about if the minimum wage was um, just a little bit higher, I think they said about like £15 per hour, they said that the benefits from that then being like put back into like sustainability projects and stuff like that would have like a, a massive um, positive impact because a lot of people then would have more freedom with like where they're putting their money. So if you give like people financial freedom, they're going to want to because I think right now a lot of sustainability projects and like um, sustainable alternatives are quite a bit more expensive. So by giving people that financial freedom is going to be more, um, just more of a movement towards give it, have, going into sustainable buying, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. And even when I go shopping, I still am conscious of what, how it costs and yeah. what it costs. And, I think it's a very privileged position to be in to say, I have the budget to buy a bamboo toothbrush and I have the budget to be an eco warrior because that's the 10% speaking. And so how do we engage the individuals who have had less uh, a chance in terms of uh, how we've been brought up and how can we give back and a big, um, parallel with climate action is social justice and equality and you know for example one of the main um things that we could do to reverse climate change is educating girls and uh looking at family planning for example perhaps not in the uk but in other countries and rising those and talking about equity um to allow those who haven't had that step up that we had to take that step and to be on the same playing field as us. Yeah, 100%. Find that quite a lot of people um, in the sort of sustainability, climate action, eco world, um, a lot of them are very wealthy because um, they can. And it's up to them to try and make all of these alternatives because they have the economic and sway and political sway 
to, uh, to to make this a lot cheaper for everybody else really they need to leave and um, i mean we've got a pocket of probably wealthy people who are of this sort of mindset but it, it, that pocket needs to probably get bigger and then i think once you've got majority of the wealthy consumers thinking like this they can drive um these sort of subsidized way of knocking down the prices of everything else because they've consumed it and given it enough time to like invest that money into making it cheaper and more sustainable over time so i think yeah we tried to tap in with, with those people as much as possible with pedal parks as well i'm really interested to hear about your projects and um, global projects that is and also some of the uk ones and especially one um in lake district um in one of the national parks and i think you've got also one in yorkshire is that in yorkshire dales um as well yeah, so around Yorkshire, um, and we have one, uh, the nearest kind of pinpoint big location is Lake District, and they're all with the Woodland Carbon Code, which is basically about reforesting the UK, because uh, currently 70% of land in the UK is used for agricultural purposes. And offsetting in the UK is actually extremely hard because there's not much land to go. Um, and so sustainably regrowing woodlands is uh, super important to restore the woodlands that we had in the UK uh, back when, back before the Industrial Revolution, for example. And these uh, Woodland Carbon Code uh, projects are obviously based on forests, but we are also looking at uh, soil sequestration projects with farmers in the UK. And so there are various technologies that we're delving into uh, within this country. And soil sequestration promises to be a really interesting carbon offsetting uh, mechanism because soil itself sequesters four times more than the equivalent amount of trees. And I guess soil is kind of like the ocean in some way, which is just full of uh, microbiomes, full of life. And so restoring soil in partnership with farmers not only helps sequester carbon, but also helps make our farms and crops uh, healthier and more resilient in the future too. Really interesting. I know that some of the farms that have come in and, for instance, cut down a forest or whatever and created a farm have made it so that if you were to try and plant trees there again, it's not very suitable and the trees won't grow. So you kind, we've kind of, in some places, there is a bit of an irreversible tree change where the soil <laughs> carbon sequestration that you're doing would, would suit. And certain places, they can't regrow these forests again. And yeah, and I think it comes down to unsuitable agricultural practices that damage soil and using tilling, for example, and huge amounts of pesticides is just not caring for our soil. And it's drying out, it's a lot unhealthier, there's less minerals like phosphorus. And if we were to continue on this trajectory, then we only have around 60 harvests left before we are completely de depleted of phosphorus. And that's a huge um, issue because that's what crops need to grow as well. So reversing the damage and nurturing the soil back is going to be yeah, hugely needed after the green revolution, which was super chemical heavy and, and just about producing loads in a really small amount of land. Do you um, grow, would you work with sort of conservation organizations that would sort of su suggest which type of trees were here before because i know that if you just planted maybe for instance all of the same tree in one area should there be some issues with um, temperature or something like that it might kill off the trees all in one but some forests need multiple different types of trees do you, do you work with organization i presume you would yeah, yeah and I, the big organizations like gold standard and the woodland carbon code they do not do monoculture you know, re, uh, rewilding or carbon offset projects. Woodlands naturally comprise of different species. And so there's obviously a replication of um, what it used to be um, and in the natural kind of setting. <laughs> I'm really interesting that you said about um, kind of agriculture and soil because 
I live in kind of like um, the Wash Valley, so it's very green, but it's green because of agriculture and there's lots of farms. So when I look at it, I'm thinking, oh, where's this so good? There's so much green space. Mm -hmm. But I don't actually think of like actually the negative effects of agriculture. Like I understand a little mm -hmm. bit about it, but I didn't actually understand it. it was kind of kind of deep rooted within the soil. So it's really interesting to learn that. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. it's true though it's nice to walk across a field and like be able to look very far because yeah. everything's kind of prairie and you know everyone has a different definition of what rewilding is and wild means different things for people and at the moment there's this big movement to rewild as much as possible in urban areas or also uh, rurally and there's this big conflict on defining what that means because everyone sees green spaces differently yeah, yeah. Can you I, think, oh, I was gonna say something uh, <laughs> we need to introduce wolves and things and then others like no just trees mate yeah there's a lot of that going on <laughs> Can, can you talk a little bit about kind of the obstacles that you guys have had to overcome because I mean carbon offsetting is such a great thing I like the idea about it, but I can imagine there might be a few things especially like governments like kind of education around it that you might have had to overcome I mean definitely the backlash with carbon offsetting is basically greenwashing and we've had to really work um, sadly against that mentality to prove that businesses are doing carbon offsetting all for the right reasons. So we've definitely had bad press. At the moment as well, what's interesting is carbon offsetting is becoming very uh, hot right now because many big businesses have stated all these targets and bulk bought loads of carbon offsets. And so what we've seen internally is just massive rising of carbon offset prices because primarily the carbon uh, market works on supply and demand. And at the moment there's loads and loads of demand and not much supply. And so we are seeing um, an increase in price. And at the moment internally, it's very like go, go, go in terms of let's set up as many new projects as we can and partner with the right people um, to make up for the fact that so many people wanting to carbon offset, which is great, but we don't have as many projects. With COVID, we've not been able to fly out and to verify, for example. There's a lag to get things certifi certificate that certifi certified. <laughs> um, to get certified. Um, so it's, um, it's interesting as an employee of Climate Partner to see, you know, our, our price is going to keep rising are there going to be enough projects to meet the demand and right now we're just uh i guess just watching the prices uh rise which is making it more difficult for smes and smaller businesses to get their fair share of carbon offsets because things are really expensive so interesting that even with like projects like this big businesses are kind of coming in and taking it away from smaller businesses, like with rising the prices, just kind of like, so you think like carbon offsetting should be accessible to everyone, but mm -hmm. I guess with the rise in demand, well, rise in demand, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I guess that's how it works is if something is more in demand, then you can increase prices because eventually someone will, will, um, will buy it. And I think that's when we'll know as well, carbon offset projects have yet to really be uh, valued. And this is the market kind of figuring itself out and seeing where that middle lies. So yeah, it does exclude uh, smaller businesses. And in some way you could say perhaps there's a silver lining to this, which is smaller businesses just need to focus on reducing and so do bigger businesses because at one point, perhaps the price of carbon offsetting will be so high that it's cheaper to just reduce internally. And so we might also get this switch of actually a couple of years ago, we wouldn't have invested in this expensive reduction technology. We'll have bought offsets whilst we figure things out. And now the carbon offset projects are quite expensive. It's finally that time to invest in that reduction technology. So that's going to be quite interesting as well. Yeah. Um, do you guys get like government, is there government funding for carbon offsetting projects or 
is it all kind of like commercially based and privatized? So the carbon offset um, market that we operate on is all voluntary. So it's businesses who voluntarily invest in carbon offset projects and the government doesn't get involved in that. It's businesses wanting to compensate for their own emissions. What the government does do, however, is enforce a carbon tax. So for example, all the big businesses in the UK have to account for their scope one and two emissions and you can get taxed on that. And if you reduce your taxes then you can give away your carbon credits, et cetera. And that kind of creates in itself a bit of a carbon market. So the governments do facilitate the trading of carbon and the valuation of carbon, which allows for businesses to basically play each other and play together to gradually reduce and reduce their costs. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I was quite because uh, um, I'm quite new to learning about carbon offset, and so it's quite a lot for me to take in right now. Understanding <laughs> of a little bit. You mentioned a little bit about the controversy and like um, public perception, kind of seeing it as greenwashing. But what would you say is kind of the general pub public perception of carbon offsetting? And because I see that you've got like a an academy type thing on the website where you try and educate like small businesses. So mm -hmm. what would you say is the perception of carbon offsetting? Yeah, I think um, many businesses are scared, unfortunately, and are scared to dip their toes into this because of the backlash. And we had a client looking at buying a huge amount of offsets that would help reforest parts of, um, I can't remember where, but they backtracked because they were really scared of backlash. So rather than doing anything, they just did nothing. And it's interesting because consumers need to get clued up to push businesses to where they need to be. There needs to be, you know, bottom up pressure. And yet at the same time, perhaps we're scrutinizing the wrong businesses. And this fear comes from losing consumers from doing the bad thing um, and Isaac, you said it really well, transparency is key. And I think as long as you are transparent about we've offset and we are going to reduce and we're doing our best and it's really difficult and I'm burnt out and just please wait, then people are less likely to catch you out. And I think there's perhaps greater empathy now for small business owners specifically as well. So I think what was really holding them back was fear of losing what they were producing in the community that they'd put together as well. It was quite interesting when carbon offsetting became quite a thing, the media jumped on it really quickly when it was just growing. It, was, it wasn't even at a point, it was at a point of incubation and already the media was pointing fingers saying, this is all greenwashing and then tabooing it from the start. Mm -hmm. Didn't even get a chance to actually get to a point where it was able to kind of stand on its own feet before it was like getting whacked. Um, but this is the thing with media right now. Um, it's just jumping on anything that's new mm -hmm. and trying to find, because media likes to find faults in things. That's what it does. It's mainly, yes. mainly yeah. um, and, then, and then as soon as they find like there's a new thing, oh, new shiny thing, let's see what's wrong with it. <laughs> and then we can create controversy and everyone will buy our paper. <laughs> this, this, is, this is what, um, I find that's kind of happened, but I think it's gone to a point where so many people got involved in offsetting that actually the tide is a little bit turning. I mean, it's, it is not the final solution. I think um, everyone is aware of that. It's not the final solution, mm -hmm. but it is a means to get there. It's start, you know, it's starting a journey. You know, you are walking, you're not standing, you are moving towards mm -hmm. the right direction, in some direction anyway, and you're trying to make a difference. And I think, I think that's the important thing for a consumer to know is that there's a lot of companies that want to make a difference they want to make a positive change and if it is carbon offsetting at least they're trying you know what about all the silent businesses like are you still buying from those the ones who aren't doing anything to do with climate action or even trying to offset or even trying to do anything um maybe you should ask a question to yourself in your own mind mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what's going on agreed <laughs> and i think um you know, if you don't take action today or if you're doing carbon offsetting for all the wrong reasons, it will come back and there will be karma because every year we are just so much more clued up as a society 
and we will look back and be like actually do you remember it like we've just done a bit of a historical check and look at all these big businesses who in 2021 mentioned all these claims and yet completely failed at them or we're doing it for greenwashing purposes so i do think that you know, like you're saying, media jumps on anything. Media will also jump on businesses who aren't taking action or who are taking action for all the wrong reasons. I was quite interested to hear what you had to say that because the more we get into this conversation, I was kind of thinking, this seems like quite an easy thing to get involved in when you've got outside people that can help you with it. So why aren't more businesses getting involved? And now learning about the controversy, I guess that is kind of the main reason why a lot of companies are kind of reluctant to get involved. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And also there's, you know, this massive cost label as well. Because yeah. As soon as you produce quite a lot of CO2, if per ton you're, you know, buying offsets from five pounds all the way to 30 pounds a ton, that can be a pretty pricey bill very quickly yeah another thing as well people don't want to be saying that they've got emissions yeah it's always the kind of um almost fragile moment when you present a company with a carbon footprint is is that low is that high and you know someone who's invested all of their time and money into this amazing business idea could still have a high carbon footprint so it's a bit of a you know have to look in the mirror and face the truth i was going to ask do you think that most organizations kind of understand the extent of their carbon emissions i think to a uh, base level yes i think many businesses are starting to measure their footprints perhaps it's just because i'm in the industry um, large businesses have to legally to disclose some of their uh, footprints but as isaac mentioned there's this whole chain of supply where product is farmed all the way to product is used by end consumer and there is a lack of transparency when we go beyond the last mile manufacturer what about the other manufacturer or the processor or the farmer or the farmer of the farmer or the cooperative that has 10 farmers? That whole chain is just so intransparent. And so hopefully as we develop a greater amount of tools and leverage more kind of software solutions, we can get to that finer granularity. Yeah, because um, we had one uh, podcast of the day kind of learning about like, the um the emissions of the internet and i think especially within like companies especially online companies there's always emails coming through like promotional emails and then learning how much just like a little spam email kind of emits because of like the emissions within the, the internet mm -hmm. it was insane and then i it's just like every day with like fast 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 fashion like online companies are getting tons of these emails and they're already co contributing with like ways of fast fashion everything like that and it's just like the small things I don't think they kind of consider either. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Is that possible to be offsetted? That can be offsetted, yes. Could social media um, posts be offsetted? Well, I'm not sure. We'd have to find a data score, data point for how much that emits. Yeah, that's probably massive. <laughs> 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 but to be fair, digital footprints are definitely something that, because it's digital and it's not tangible, it's just like packaging. It's something you don't really think of. And I think um, How Bad Are Bananas by Mark, is it Mark Branson? Um, definitely uh, highlighted the footprint of some things that we just would have never thought of. But I think in this journey as well, it's important to realize what's going to have an impact and what's going to be important. And if you're looking at four grams an email and yet two tons per one flight taken anywhere, let's forget about the emails. We have 10 years to really hone this in. So looking at such small things perhaps sometimes even distracts people from what's really important. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. All right. So you. Uh, Charlie, Charlie's a, a cyclist, okay. 
No way. <laughs> I actually told Isaac I, I wanted to join part of your journey along with my colleague Chris. We actually spoke about it last week, and he's we're both quite excited. Definitely should, yeah, for a, for a stretch at least, definitely. Definitely should. Uh, and we'll have to see if we can maybe your journey already bypasses some of our carbon offsetting projects, which would be really cool. To, the late district it does. It late district one. It will be well, yeah. I'm going to see exactly where that's located, but that would be so awesome to be able to, be a good one. To, pa to pass our carbon offset project. Even I, I've not even seen it. I've never seen one of our carbon offset projects before. So I'd love to oh, so it's wor worthy of doing it. Yeah. Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although I will be using a bamboo bike, full disclosure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So what does uh, Green Spaces, you know, national parks personally mean? To you, you know, how do do you get out in them often? Like, how how do you how how does it come into your life? And yeah, I mean, I've um, I lived the majority of my life in Asia, in Thailand, so I definitely felt like green spaces was my playground. Bare feet and like storms and the tropics and had a really amazing upbringing. And so I think it's probably the reason why I do work in the climate spaces to help and protect biodiversity and all of our natural cycles and the way the world works. Um, so green spaces means a lot, means mental health, means fun, <laughs> means adventure. Um, and it's been super important during COVID as well when things haven't been very stable. And one thing that has always been stable is that tree in your backyard or that patch of grass outside. And yeah, so it's been a big comfort. Barefoot in the rain. <laughs> 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 <So good>. <laughs> Cringe. <laughs> I've never done that before anyway, barefoot running, but there's quite a lot of people. There's, there was another person who was a barefoot uh, runner Oh, really? well, actually, barefoot person wasn't he? Or he just did a lot of barefoot. Didn't he? Just a lot of barefoot yeah, stuff. Yeah, of barefoot, yeah. <laughs> That's well cool. That's so I cool. I need to try it. I, I, we, we, we were discussing Alicia and I like how we would do it. <laughs> well, bamboo bikes first, and then maybe yeah. do the same thing, but barefoot running. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> how long have you been in the UK for? Five years now. Five years. How do you find yeah. that the green spaces kind of compare to like Thailand or? To be fair, I did a study about uh, London's green spaces and we're one of the greenest cities out there. About 40% yeah. of our uh, city is green space. So we're actually doing super well in terms of green spaces um, and the quality of green spaces as well. For example, Hampstead Heath or Richmond it's wooded and it's diverse and so i think london is a great place for green space yeah we've had a lot of people from london come on and they always say that london's a really good place for green space me coming from the countryside i would disagree because <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> you're yeah we're comparing to a very different uh, yeah. <laughs> for a city yes it's very good for a city yeah. <laughs> As kind of like a final question then, do you think the UK, I know they've got their pro, um, projections, so I think it's be carbon neutral by 2050. Do you think that that is achievable with kind of like what they're doing right now, or do you think more needs to be done? Um, I don't really know. I think a lot can be done under deadlines and a lot can be done in the fact that we've given ourselves 30 years. So I think investing in renewables, reducing food waste, prioritizing regenerative farming and restoring woodlands that we have in the UK today, if we action those in an effective way, then I don't see why not. I feel like to work in this space and to combat environmental blues, you have to be a silly optimist. And I think I'm optimistic that we can achieve those targets with a lot of hard work. Yeah. Well, that's positive to learn then, because I don't know, from where I'm sitting right now, it's kind of like, that seems ambitious. But if you're thinking that's achievable, then I'm going to believe it's achievable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Boris keeps, uh, every couple of months, Boris does a announcement of a, a new deadline of something that's just slightly earlier. 
<laughs> I keep noticing it's like 2029, 2028. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like emergency, emergency. Yeah. He's, installing, he's installing these deadlines like quicker and quicker. And you yes. can sense and I that. I think it's needed, right? That's why it's in a climate emergency. So, yeah, I think we just have to hope and, and do as much as possible for it. Watch your Netflix documentaries and scare you. <laughs> Maybe that's what Boris is doing. <laughs> he watched Seaspiracy and then went to public announcement. Yeah. <laughs> what is your um, kind of outlook on like um, these documentaries? Do you think that they are kind of doing enough in educating people? Because they scare me, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what was great is Netflix has millions of users and for a week straight on the home page was the repeating trailer for Seaspiracy. So I don't know how many people have viewed that documentary, but within my group of friends, I've had massive shifts and seen massive shifts in behavior. So I think it's a really powerful tool and it's a powerful tool to document, um, you know, these kinds of topics. And also to make sure as well to just fact check and seaspiracy. I've definitely read up on the facts and there have been kind of miscommunications from time to time in the documentary. And so taking the general overview and takeaway message, but also taking things with a pinch of salt and just being critical about what you see, like any documentary, I guess. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, thank you, Charlie, for coming on to our thanks. podcast. Really thank great so to much. hear. Thanks. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to carbon footprinting your expedition and investing in some cool carbon offsetting projects. Yeah. <laughs> Expeditions are quite rare for you guys, so this should be Yes, this is, a, this is the first expedition I've ever carbon footprinted, so let's see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Supply we'll chain of Pedal Park Squad. Yeah. That'll be, be another year of uh, planning, I think. Um, <laughs> well, looking forward to the report and seeing what comes up. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. To listen to other Pedal for Park podcasts, sponsor us, or find out more, please visit our website, pedalforparks.co.uk. The four is a number four. Make sure you give us a like and a follow of this podcast wherever you've listened to it. It makes a huge difference in getting our message out there. We're also very active on social media channels too. Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is Pedal4Parks and that is a number four as well in, in the middle there. This is where we post more content like this. So once again, thank you and stay tuned.